Well, I want to start a, a series of uh, sermons and meditations. And before I forget, by the way, I, I am going to try to do this as much as I can. If you go to your iPad or um, iPhone, you should be able, uh, and I say, I say that with great determination, you should be able, and I think you will be able to locate the notes to um, this uh, sermon. And you can do it either through your iPhone or whatever. And I would suggest that if you, if you have an iPhone, just turn it uh, horizontal because I think the, it's easier to, to see it that way. But you should be able to get the notes. Uh, I'll give you an entry into my subconscious as uh, you look at all the different things that I've kind of arranged there and which I hope to benefit from. I don't, you know, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to, call, uh, to um, uh, cover all of the information and all the content of this particular uh, note in one session. I may continue next uh, time I uh, will be speaking. Uh, and and my, my hope is to cover a few Sundays with uh, a concept that you may have heard of or may, maybe not. This idea of uh, resiliency or resilience, um, which is a sort of a, a psychological term. Don't be intimidated by it. It's a very simple term, ultimately, which covers, by the way, a very complex human emotion, process, uh, emotional resource, resilience, or resiliency. Sometimes, you know, the terms are used uh, interchangeably. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about what that means. But I, I would like, my intent is to spend uh, a few weeks talking about resiliency in the light of different uh, characters, passages, um, situations in the Bible that show us how to overcome, how to overcome crises, setbacks, losses, failures, all those things that uh, bring uh, deficit into our lives, all those things that trip us sometimes in our journey with the Lord, and how to not just uh, survive, but thrive even in the midst of the crises of life. And we're going to be looking at it, different individuals, and I'm going to be looking at different uh, expressions and examples of resiliency, of this capacity to overcome, this capacity to, uh, as the Bible says, now in all these things, we are more than what? Than conquerors. Amen. We can go through all kinds of situations, and, and the Bible does clearly show that we will go through them. And the question is not whether we go through them or not, but how we go through them and how we emerge on the other side, how we deal with the difficulties of life. And one of the reasons why I decided to go into this particular aspect of life is because, you know, we've, we've been struggling with all kinds of stuff these past months. Hey, COVID is uh, omnipresent, and uh, the... Um, Struggles of the election as well, and its aftermath, and all these things that we've been talking about. I mean, they've been serious subjects that really weigh us down. They even uh, deplete us. And I know I myself have been engaged in a lot of heavy subjects um, with you these past few weeks. And, and I've, I've had a determination for the longest time, months really, to when all this stuff was over and we had the right opportunity to enter into a series of meditations around these subjects that would really minister to us, to our lives, that would be more horizontal in nature, that would be more personal in nature, 
and uh, how the Word of God ministers to us, not just about COVID, but any, any situation in life that is weighing us down. And the Bible has amazing resources, amazing teaching for us. The Bible is an endless, inexhaustible source of counsel for life, right? We know that. And uh, we, I hope that uh, we will see some of these tools, some of these resources that uh, the Bible provides for us in the journey of life, especially on how to be overcomers. And this is what the word resiliency is all about. And uh, I hope that by the end of this uh, period of time that we're going to spend together covering resilience or resiliency, that you will understand the concept well, that you will be able to interpret your experiences in life in the light of this concept, that you will be able to, to, be able to identify moments when you can put into practice uh, these resources uh, which help us to navigate life effectively and uh, to overcome situations of loss. And I cannot think of a better um, example of resiliency in the Scriptures, and this is why I'm beginning with the example of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Because in a sense, as I looked at the different passages, and I have many of them, and we will study many of these characters in the Bible who exemplify resiliency. Ruth and Naomi, um, in the book of Ruth, of course, four chapters, and I hope that you will study them uh, over the course of the week. Um, they exemplify what it is like to overcome loss, to uh, overcome a situation in which you begin way in the back of the line and how you are able then to uh, get to stability and get to a place of solid standing in life after having suffered a lot of loss. Of course, you know, I'm not going to be able to read four chapters. Uh, we don't want to do that. Thankfully, I know that practically all of you, unless you're really new to um, Scripture, have read about Ruth. You know about her journey. We have often in, in uh, weddings heard about Ruth's beautiful words to her mother-in-law, don't ask me to leave you. You know, wherever you go, I will be with you. I will walk with you. Um, your, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, and so on. And uh, these two women, they constitute a, like a society of uh, mutual support and um, of uh, counsel, mutual counsel in overcoming a situation that was very difficult, very painful for them. Uh, let me just read a couple of verses, and I'll, I'll try to weave in a little bit of a better understanding, a definition of what resiliency is, and also some comments about how these two women exemplify some of the resources and some of the um, attitudes that you yourself can muster and, and uh, bring forth in order to overcome situations in your own life of obstacles and loss and setbacks and so on and so forth. So we know the story. Uh, begin, let's say, in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 3. You know, um, Naomi is a, is a Jewish woman with her husband. They moved to another country, not, Christ, not uh, Jewish, uh, pagan, actually, Moab, the land of Moab. And uh, while they are there, she had two sons. Their sons marry and so on, but there's loss, devastating loss experience. So in, in verse 3, chapter 1, it says that now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Here's the first loss, devastating, immense. And she was left with her two sons. 
They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, now look, look, look at this, both Malon and Kilion also died. So this woman now, she's lost her husband, <clears throat> and now she loses <clears throat> her two sons as well. Can you think of something more devastating, more destructive than that in terms of tra tragedy? And she was left without her two sons and her husband. <clears throat> now she's left without, uh, you know, there's no welfare, there's no social security, there's nothing there. She's destitute in a time when there are no resources for people like her. So she decides to go back to her native land. She decides to go back to Judea. And uh, you, we know the story. She tells her two daughters-in-law, listen, I'm old. I don't have anything to give to you. You guys are young. Why don't you just, you know, fend for yourselves, go back, find husbands for yourselves. You're still young. There's so much to be done. I'm, going, I'm only going to be a hindrance to your life. So, you know, and, and she adds something that I think will, will um, uh, come handy in our, in our uh, discussion. And, and it is that, uh, you know, she feels that the Lord has really... Um, left her and has almost, you know, punished her, punished her, and uh, she is, you know, a bit angry with God as well. In, in verse 20, uh, when she returns to Bethlehem, her native land, uh, and they, they say, wow, can this be Naomi? In other words, she has changed, probably all the suffering and all the situation. She has grown older as well, but definitely in, in verse uh, 19 and 20, you see that when they arrive back, Ruth has decided to go with her. She's you know, stood by her. Orpah decided to go back to her own people. But Ruth stays faithful to her um, mother-in-law. And so they return. They go back to Bethlehem. And people are surprised. Can this actually be Naomi? And here's her response. It says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Do you detect a little bit of resentment there toward God? Do you detect the sense of God has singled me out for suffering? He has left me alone. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. You see that sense of anger toward God? You know, it's what we experience many times when we uh, serve the Lord and uh, we get the opposite. I was uh, yesterday seeing a video of a, a man that I, we hope to bring here, Andrew Bronson, and we hope to have him come to Lion of Judah sometime in the spring. Um, and he, he was a missionary to Turkey, serving the Lord, doing the Lord's will with his wife, I mean evangelizing people, taking great risks, and he gets um, arrested by the Turkish government, is put into prison two years, suffering Uh, not knowing whether he was going to live or die, with his wife initially. And then his wife was allowed to return to the States uh, at some point. And uh, no, actually, they, she stayed in Turkey, but she was allowed to leave the prison because for a while they were together in the prison. And uh, he speaks in that video, very touching, about his suffering and his anger toward God, his sense of uh, abandonment, suicidal thoughts, resentment at the fact that he has served the Lord He has taken all kinds of risks. He's dedicated his life, 20 or more years of missionary service, and yet the Lord puts him, quote-unquote, in a prison. And he's, he had to forgive God in a way. And his whole, he's very open and very transparent 
about his many struggles in prison uh, because he felt that God, after all this service, had not dealt with him in a fair way. And this is what happens. You know, we lose uh, dear things, a child, health, a good job that we've had, and so on. The tendency is to blame God. The, the tendency is to feel abandoned by God. And, of course, what this does is that it really reduces our resiliency because our hope in God and our trust in God is such an, an important uh, weapon in life and resource that when we lose that, it's like losing not just your father. You're losing, you know, your, your understanding of the universe as well. And so um, Naomi experiences all of this. And uh, I'll, I'll try to get a little bit of a further understanding about it. So, you know, they, now Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem, and uh, they, they have to begin a new life. And so um, in, in chapter 2, we see uh, Ruth, they have settled down. They, they're already there maybe a few weeks, a few days, who knows. Uh, in verse 2, chapter 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. You know the, the concept of gleaning? The poor uh, were allowed, according to Scripture, uh, to be able to go behind harvesters when the time of harvest came. And so the employees of the owner of a piece of land would go harvesting the grain, and the poor were able to go behind them and glean and, and pick up the pieces that were left of grain. Uh, the remains, the remnants as an act of uh, kindness to those who were poor. And so Ruth conceives this idea, hey, we got to do something. we got to find employment. We, we have to fend for ourselves. And so see, uh, here's this element of diligence that is going to be a part of uh, this whole process of resilience and recovery. Uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 3, it says, Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out, we're in verse 3, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As, turned, as it turned out, this is almost ironic, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And I think it's uh, ironic, this idea of as it turned out, because, of course, we see the Lord behind it. It's not that it turned out that way, but God is uh, putting together a plan to get Ruth together with Boaz, who will become her husband later on. And so we see this uh, undercurrent in the narrative of the book of Ruth of God's provision and intervention. And this is a topic that you see often in Scripture. Like in the book of Esther, another hero that we will look at as well in terms of resiliency, heroine, uh, we see the, the same thing. You know, God may not be mentioned overtly. He may not appear in a cloud. He may not uh, roar in a voice, in a thunderous voice of provision and love and so on and so forth. But He is there. Just like us, in many ways, we, we, don't, we don't see God. The vast, vast majority of us don't, have, don't see an angel promising us things like he did to Mary. But God is present in our lives. He is always moving in all kinds of uh, mysterious, invisible ways. I mean, God is sort of the, the, um, the undercurrent of our lives. He's the bookmark um, of our lives. And, and so this is what hap what's happening here. Ruth is doing her part. You know, she's going out, she's looking for jobs, she's doing things to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law, who's probably an older woman at this point. She's doing her due diligence. She's being diligent. And one thing that we need to do as well, you know. Uh, but uh, God is also 
weaving certain things. So it just so happens that Ruth chooses the field where Boaz, who happens to be actually a direct relative of Elimelech, who died, Naomi's husband. So how about, how's that for a coincidence? Huh? God is working here. And so Ruth chooses the field that is owned by Boaz, a direct uh, relative of Elimelech, to start gleaning there. And that, that uh, coincidence, quote-unquote, leads to a series of events where Boaz notices this young woman. Boaz is an older man. We don't know how old. May have been 40, 50, 60. I don't know. We don't know. But he was definitely much older than Ruth is. And he's sort of a man of means. And uh, Ruth begins to glean, and uh, Boaz already has notice of her. Uh, long story there. Boaz knows who Ruth is because he has heard the rumors of this young woman who has accompanied her mother-in-law and uh, has followed her and is helping her and nobly decided to stick with her. And so when Ruth starts gleaning, he takes notice of her. She sees this virtuous woman. I don't think that when he saw her, he necessarily thought, oh, here's a possible companion for my life. No, he just sees this young woman. She's gleaning, she's diligent, she's hardworking, she's noble. And you see here something important, which is, you know, how sometimes uh, and often generosity, noble deeds, virtue, biblical values, when we exercise them, not expecting anything except simply because we are who we are and we exercise these noble values of Scripture, you know, they follow us, they bless us, they open the door for us. People notice, I tell you, when you work hard at your job, and, and you do more than is required of you. When you are generous with your uh, co-workers, when you are diligent, when you go beyond the call of duty, people notice. Believe me. It takes time. When you're in a church and you exercise certain values as well, and, and you are generous, and you serve the Lord, and you, you are available, people notice. I notice. God notices as well. So, uh, you know, Boaz notices this virtuous young woman, and a series of events happen. You know the story. Um, Ruth and uh, Naomi, and by the way, this is one of the beautiful themes of this book. These two women in a society of mutual support, if you will. They're alone in the world, but they're not alone because they're together. And they, they are working together. And there's something there about resiliency as well. Community, uh, seeking help, working together. And so Naomi, who knows Boaz and knows that he's a direct descendant of Elimelech, knows that Elimelech can redeem her. That means that, in long story, in, in uh, the, Moses, uh, the Mosaic law and so on, if a man dies like Ruth's husband died without leaving a descendant, another member of the family, a male, was uh, almost required and expected to make sure that the lineage of that man his uh, seed, his name would not perish. And so he would adopt, he would redeem this uh, widow and take her on in marriage. Or some, sometimes in this ambiguity of the Old Testament, she may have been a second wife or whatever. But uh, the idea was, let not that man's uh, memory in the earth perish. And so bear sons with his widow so that, that his lineage will continue. And so Boaz, because of his family relationship, was perfectly qualified to do this. And uh, Naomi advises Ruth as to how to proceed, how to do this in a, in a dignified way, in a sort of a legal, biblical sort of way, and to 
place herself as a possible object of Moses' protection and redemptive action. And she does that in a beautiful sort of way, very romantic story, by the way. Boaz sees this young woman, admires the fact that here's another sign of virtue. She's not looking out for a young man, a strong, uh, you know, handsome person. He's, she wants simply to have someone redeem her. And uh, so he praises her for this. She gains even more grace before this uh, man of means who has already extended grace to her. And they end up getting married. And not only that, but uh, Ruth, a Moabite woman, not a member of the, of the Hebrew family, she ends up being the great-grandmother of who? David. The king, King David. And so she becomes a direct, um, this, uh, a direct um, what is the word? Ante, ante, antepasado. Yeah, an ancestor, thank you. An ancestor of King David, and of course of Jesus himself through the lineage of David. So imagine from this place of great loss, great tragedy, to a place of a redemption, restoration, and a great dignity in, in the spiritual lineage of the Bible. And so you see this journey. Please study it uh, you know, in the course of the week, and you can see um, all of these elements uh, of Initial suffering, loss, and then some of the elements that helped Ruth to overcome her tragedy, and Naomi as well. Naomi goes from this moment of total, you know, sense of abandonment of God, the unfairness of God, also now to becoming a grandmother, having a child in her, or a grandmother, yes, having a child in her arms, taking care of the baby. Actually, she raised him, it says. And uh, in a sense, seeing her descendants, you know, in front of her as well. So there's blessing and redemption as well for uh, Naomi, because this is the way God works in our lives. And so I think I I invite you to read the book of Ruth from this perspective of um, what did they do to overcome their initial suffering and to be examples of resiliency? And how did her initial actions help to you know, provide God with a platform, so to speak, a human point of departure for His own grace to uh, invade and to land and then to extend itself and manifest itself in the life of these uh, two beautiful women. And what can we learn from that? So, again, I wanted to talk a little bit about resiliency, and we will have time to unpack this. And, you know, in in your notes, if you are able to look at the... um, your your, uh, phone... Um, you can see, you know, the, a definition. What is resiliency? It's a, it's a relatively advanced uh, psychological concept. There's a couple of um, definitions that I got from the dictionary. It says the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's a kind of toughness. It's a kind of grit, a capacity to overcome situations of loss, and we have all experienced that, all right? There's another definition, the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. Think of a rubber band being stretched, and then all of a sudden, boom, it goes back to its original form. Resiliency, in the word, I see the word rebounding also, bouncing back, um, not being deformed by stress. Like a rubber band is not deformed by stress. It just comes back a spring. You push it, you compress it, but it springs back. 
to um, life. It's this, this capacity to be elastic, to be flexible. All of these elements are involved in the word resiliency, to rebound, to bounce back, um, to resist, uh, and, and to actually even thrive. We will see that. So some other words are the word flexibility, pliability, being pliable, suppleness, plasticity. You know, something plastic is often able to be shaped it's not hard. It's not a solid in the sense that it, 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 it lets itself be affected, be shaped. So that's the word plasticity. It's plastic in that sense. It can be affected. And, and, uh, and elasticity, something that is elastic, can also uh, resist just pressure. When you're rigid in your life, your beliefs, your habits, your self-perception and so on, rigidity is not good, by the way, it's when you need to resist things and to overcome. You need to, be, you need to flow you need to adapt. You need to be humble about yourself. You need to have a, a self-image that can flow with the situation. So here's some other thoughts on, the, on resiliency. Uh, I, I got this out in my own study of this concept. Life may not come with a map. I'm citing here uh, something. But everyone will experience twists and turns from everyday challenges to traumatic events and they may experience it with more lasting impact or events with more lasting impact, like the death of a loved one, a life-altering accident, or a serious illness. We all experience these different things, right? Each change affects people differently, bringing a unique flood of thoughts, strong emotions, and uncertainty. Yet, people generally adapt well over time to life-changing situations and stressful situations, in part thanks to this virtue, this capacity of being Resilient. This is what allows us. God has built resiliency into us. He, into us. He has given us the capacity to thrive. You have it in you. You don't have to go around looking for it. It's a matter of getting in touch with it. You have it within yourself. God has gifted you. God has made you an overcomer. He has given you incredible uh, virtues, except when we deny them, except when we become so focused on the laws that we forget that inside of us there's all kinds of possibilities of emerging from it. And actually God is glorified and you will be strengthened by engaging in these habits of resiliency. Psychologists define resiliency as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress, such as family and relationship problems, serious health problems, or workplace and financial stressors. You know, one of the biggest... Uh, uh, things that holds us back in our life is often, it's not, just, it's, an, it's not just an event or some traumatic situation. Often it's just those, those clouds that we don't even acknowledge. We don't even know what they are. We can't even name them. And sometimes it may come from a, a, a some that we lived when we were children. When we were young, very young, and we lost our mother, for example. When we were the object of sexual abuse that we have repressed and uh, we don't even acknowledge it uh, consciously. When we suffered a great loss or a traumatic situation when we were young and we have forgotten about that, and that effect has followed us all through our lives, darkening our mental landscape. And then we, we are often in such a weak position because of all of that that is sucking the air, the oxygen out of our emotional uh, life that when we face situations of stress, what happens? We don't have the reserves. We simply tend to say, woe is me. And resiliency uh, is something that needs to be recovered. 
found within us. But many times, you know, we were not loved by our parents or we did not feel appreciated and so on and so forth. We may have been living with a, with a physical defect and so on. And all of these things can also affect our capacity to live life fully. Um, as much as resilience involves bouncing back from these difficult experiences, it can also involve profound personal growth. This is something we need to know, uh, that crisis and suffering and setbacks in our life, when they are handled well, you know what they do? They strengthen us. They ennoble us. They make us more patient, more compassionate. They increase our faith. Actually, uh, suffering is a precondition, I believe, for moral greatness, for spiritual maturity, for pastoral qualities that enable us to be a blessing to others. If you haven't suffered, it's very difficult to identify with those who suffer. If you have had a string of successes, it's very easy to become arrogant and to be overly sure of yourself. And that, by the way, can be the precondition for great failure as well, because pride often brings failure. That's what the Bible says. So suffering, actually, it, it, it can be a precondition for personal growth. And that's one of the things that we can always do when, you, when we go through difficult experiences in our life. Uh, let's, change the, let's change the narrative. Let's change the, the uh, framework of interpretation. How we interpret the difficulties of life and the sufferings of life can determine how we emerge from them. If we see a, 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 a uh, spiritual setback or a moment of suffering of some sort, an illness or whatever, as an expression of you know, the unfairness of life, God's indifference to you, uh, somehow that you've been chosen to be persecuted, what happens? Your interpretation of it and your naming your tragedy in a certain way already constitutes a result and you end up being unprepared to deal with it successfully. Now, many people can actually, sometimes when they experience difficulties in life, a family um, uh, situation or some sort of, they can, they sometimes, they're so used now to seeing God's grace and blessing in their lives that they, can, they, they, they tend to think, wow, here's an opportunity for me to learn, to uh, grow, to see God's grace and to experience uh, wonderful solutions. And, and people who, um, are, who have suffered a lot and have emerged, generally you will see these individuals being strong, being uh, resilient because they have learned how to cope. Having, they have learned some of the rules for overcoming uh, loss. And actually they become stronger and they become an asset to others as well. So actually sometimes, you know, if you, if you can see your uh, setbacks and the difficulties of your life as an opportunity for you to grow, for you to get to know God better, and for you to see the goodness of God manifest itself and to believe that, yes, I'm going through this, but there's a purpose behind it. This idea, which is in the scripture, that to all who love God, what? Everything works for good. And, you know, for us, that's no longer, for many of us, that, that's not just a nice thing to say. We believe it. And then when situations of great uh, loss come into our lives and of great stress, we believe, Lord, I know that there's a, there's a reason for this. And I know that there's a solution. You have done it once. I know that you will do it again and that I will grow as a result. And so the Bible is full of these situations where uh, sometimes uh, the thorns in our flesh, uh, they prove themselves to be actually 
moments for growth, the deserts of life, uh, show themselves to be exercises that God puts in our way to strengthen us. You know, God doesn't reprogram us directly. He doesn't take our brain and submit it to an operation and somehow rearrange the neurons of our brain. No, he, he puts us through psychological exercises, if you will, emotional exercises. He reprograms us in the gentlest of ways, which is by, by submitting us to situations that force us to summon the latent uh, powers and virtues that we have within ourselves. It's like a psychiatrist. A, psychiatrist, a good psychologist, a good counselor, a good psych, psych, a psychiatrist will not tell you, hey, this is what you have to do. Okay, I heard what your problem is. Here's the solution. No, they know uh, that they have to work with you. They have to summon the solution from within you. And uh, they know that the only way that a human being learns is by being part of the process of redemption. Uh, a good counselor will simply guide you through a process. And they, they are simply a midwife to the creative process that is within you. You are supposed to be the, the vehicle from which emerges the life of God. And so God does that in the most extraordinarily kind sort of way. He allows these uh, psychological dramas to emerge in our lives with a good purpose. There's always a reason for everything that happens. Don't ask the, the Lord, why did this happen to me? And so on. It's, more be it's better to ask the Lord, why, uh, uh, how can I learn from this? What is the reason behind what is happening to me? And how can I use this to become a more powerful agent of goodness in the world and a better asset to myself even? So um, I think when we begin to see the challenges of life uh, uh, as uh, springboards for goodness and for greater nobility, that changes our experience of things. I know that if Ruth and Naomi would have known the glorious ending to their initial drama, they would have been a lot more motivated and a lot less hopeless. Naomi, if she would have known that she would be a direct ancestor of the Redeemer of the universe, humanly speaking, Jesus, I think she would have uh, been a lot more patient. She would have known that God did not want to strike her. No, he was simply preparing this very extraordinary symphony that had moments of minor notes and uh, chords and major moments of celebration. He was putting together this extraordinarily beautiful work of art. And works of art, are, they, they by nature require tension. They require plot and drama. So there have to be moments of loss, moments of struggle, uh, enemies that have to emerge and have to be overcome, heroes that need to be taken to another level of grandeur. This is part of the, the, the tapestry of life. And, um, you know, Naomi and Ruth show us this in an extraordinary sort of way. They're resilient. And, and even Naomi, in spite of her struggle, because again, I mean, never be afraid of being honest with God, by the way. If you're angry with God, don't say, oh, no, Lord, I love you. I know that you're good and so on and so forth. No, no. Express your anger. Cry. Have a pity party. But know that in the end, you got to go and kiss his hand. All right? I mean, take your time. God is not, you know, he's not impatient. He loves you so much and he knows so much and he's so strong that he can deal with your anger. Look at Job, another person that we will study 
I mean, people talk about the patience of Job. But no, Job was, Job was angry at God. He was accusing God of being unjust. And so, I mean, you know, the, the, this idea of process, process is so important in life. I've learned over the course of my life that, um, you know, God is going to take me through some terrifying moments if he really wants to do a work of my life and use me. He's a, he's a severe trainer, but he's so loving as well. And, and if he only gave us good things, how would we create the, the, the capacity to deal with the uh, tensions? And how would we be able to know what other people are experiencing? How would we be able to counsel others as well? How would we be able to be more Christ-like? These things are only fashioned in the furnace of trial, testing, difficulty, suffering, moral failure, knowing our uh, limitations, and finding ourselves totally bereft of any hope except in God. And then seeing the Lord show Himself merciful, compassionate, faithful. This is what life is all about. And I think, you know, Ruth and uh, Naomi, they had to find this out for themselves. They had to go through this process because when you're living the processes of life, it's terrifying. I'm telling you, you know, it's easy for me to stand here and say, oh, this and that. No, I, I live my own processes of fear and of struggle and failure and only God's mercy. But I know by now at the age of 65 that God is merciful and compassionate and faithful. He can be trusted and that when I go through situations, there's always something to be learned and that there's no other way toward the greatness that God has for me except through struggle, except through difficulties, except through loss. But the thing is that, you know, God has this amazing way of turning it all for goodness. I'll leave you with one last image, and I think definitely we'll have to continue uh, with uh, Ruth and Naomi's story because I want to break it down in, in many ways that show these moments of what constitutes resiliency. But, you know, uh, believers, <clears throat> we're like trapeze artists. I'm sure this is not something for me, uh, original from me. But, you know, I've always felt uh, that it's a good way of looking at, you know, uh, we are like trapeze artists. You see a, a trapeze artist, you know, 100 feet, 50 feet, I don't know, 75 feet above the ground, doing all of these uh, <clears throat> complex motions, you know, being, do, flipping over and, and uh, so just the right moment grabbing somebody else's hands or and you, you, you look at this man or woman out there uh, dangling over an abyss, and you think they're going to fall, they're going to break um, themselves to pieces. But often and generally, under the trapeze, there will be this uh, net, right? A safety net. That if the trapeze artist happens to miss a turn or a hold, you know, they will fall, but they will fall into this net of safety and uh, refuge. And I think it's like that with us. You know, God will put us up on the trapeze and He will engage us in all kinds of uh, situations in our lives, marital difficulties, health situations, problems with children, uh, addictions that we deal with, um, moments when we fail God, uh, financial loss, you name it, you know, you... Come on, you, you each know all the different things that you have gone through in your life and that I have gone through. No life is uh, devoid of darkness and shameful moments and moments of despair. But, you know, we're like the trapeze artists. In the course of our lives, 
we are dangling in the air and we're doing all kinds of complex motions just as we deal with complex emotions and processes and relationships two trapeze artists holding each other and so on and so forth this is what life is and this is what God has called us to do um, life will be one continual trapeze act and uh, there will be many moments and you got to be prepared to, to experience those moments don't see them as the exception don't see them as abnormality see them as the substance of life and what you have been called to do and be Jesus himself the Bible says was perfected through all of his sufferings even the son of God humanly speaking had to submit himself to a process where he would be tested and tried but behind it all was this magnificent God, this loving God, this incredibly understanding, tolerant God, committed to your well-being. He, he is the safety net under you, just as he was with uh, Ruth in her own gleaning and struggling and uncertainty about her future. There was this invisible God, but very present, moving circumstances, engineering things, leading uh, both Naomi and uh, Ruth and us through the lessons that he was uh, putting together. Imagine that. He was preparing something that would edify humanity for thousands of years, literally. And here are these two women living out this incredible drama, thinking that we're, we're alone, it's just us, when there's a huge cloud of witnesses that will emerge to watch their drama, to grow through their actions, and they themselves would as well. So we are, yes, we are trapeze artists. You've been called to engage in these magnificent acts of heroism and the human drama. And many of us think that we've just been called to, to live a comedy. No, it's not a comedy. It's a tragic comedy. It is, a, it is an extraordinarily wonderful epic. And we're called to live epic, heroic lives. And heroes... They struggle against giants. They struggle against all kinds of things. But this magnificent God is there. And therefore, we can exercise resiliency. We will know more about it. We don't have to buckle under. We don't have to be broken by our sufferings. We don't have to be defeated by when our humanity shows itself to be insufficient. Because the, the, the net is always there. You may not see it. You may not feel it. But God's grace and commitment to your success is there. And often, success will come through failure. Often, power will come through brokenness and defeat. Often, provision will come after great loss and lack. Actually, uh, insight and self-understanding will come after great confusion and chaos. That's the way God has uh, willed it. And, and you are being called to be that trapeze artist every day in your life. So see this moment that you're living as an expression of God's great intentions for you. Let's bow our heads for a moment and let's confess this. You know, this morning through the worship, we were called to let go and uh, let God, to trust in Him. Now, whatever I can tell you this, whatever it is that you're going through, it is not too big for God. He has seen it billions of times. You have nothing new to show Him there is nothing unprecedented in the drama that you are living. There is nothing so complex that the God has not seen it a thousand times and has more than enough power 
to overcome and resolve. Now you have a role to play. You have certain attitudes to assume. You have certain understandings to gain and put into practice. But you can succeed. You can emerge. You can overcome. You can become more powerful as a result of your struggles. This extraordinarily, extraordinarily good being is committed that's what the Bible is all about, okay? He's too good and too kind to let you live your life casually without stress. He, he loves you too much. He wants you to be a hero. He wants you to be a heroine. He wants you to be uh, something grand that he can be proud of and that can adorn this arid landscape that is human, the human condition. So let's thank God. Father, we thank you because your plans for us are so good. Thank you because you have loved us so much that you have not led us simply to our designs. And I thank you for all the, the darkness in my life. I thank you not with joy, but in an objective sort of way. Because I know that so much goodness has come. And I pray that this morning, if there's anyone here who is feeling that their life is meaningless, that they, they messed up, that uh, they really took the wrong turn, there's no going back that this morning they will be filled with this sense of your sufficiency, the fact that you can overcome anything, that it's all good in the end, that it will be good, and that what awaits us is magical. It's enviable. It's wonderful. And so fill us with that certainty and lead us from here, even as we contemplate snow coming, whatever. It's all good. It's all good because we have been in your presence this morning and we are readier than ever to undertake the challenges of life. I declare your blessing upon each of your children today here, those who are at home, those who are here, those who will come later on. Fill us with your shalom, Lord, and thank you because we're not alone. We have your net of safety and hope under us. In Jesus' name.